What do you think of when you think of a servant? Do you think of something like this in the picture? Unfortunately, just the word servant carries with it a lot of baggage. We tend to think of a servant as someone who is mistreated or taken advantage of. I have to admit that when I was thinking about what it means to be a servant, I couldn't help but think of my days working at a factory. We made water pumps. And the job itself was, it was great. The factory was a nice factory, and the people that worked there were fun to work with. But being the part-time guy, being the most inexperienced guy, I got all of the jobs that no one else wanted to do. They kind of got pushed, pushed on to me. So I did really exciting things like testing water pumps or crushing cardboard or my favorite one, taking out the garbage. But one day I came into work and um, it, was a, it was a slower day. And my boss said, Craig, I want you to do something a little different today. I want you to go outside, go to where the guys take their smoke breaks, because there's a lot of cigarette butts laying on the ground out there. I want you to pick up those cigarette butts. <laughs> I kind of laughed a little bit, because I thought he was joking, but um, I did it. I went out, I got down on my hands and knees, and I picked up those cigarette butts. Is that how you think of servanthood? Does servanthood always have to be something that's demeaning, degrading, or, or putting yourself in a place of weakness? That's definitely the, the negative way to look at servanthood, but the Bible paints a, a completely different picture of what it means to be a servant. And Jesus showed us that that's not what servanthood is all about. Jesus showed us exactly how to be a joyful servant. Remember when he washed the disciples' feet? What a great example of what it means to be a servant. I bring up the idea of servant. I was thinking about uh, the idea of a servant because we're in that section of Isaiah. It's, it's the section of Isaiah where there's four songs of the servant, the servant of the Lord, who is Jesus. And tonight we, are, we have a section from the, the second song of the servant. Just before the verses, we hear about the song, or about the servant himself, and how he was specially chosen and called by God the Father, and how his mouth was like a sharpened sword. His words had extreme power. But up until this time, he had been concealed, he had been hidden. Sure, there were glimpses of him, of the head crusher of the one who would hold the scepter of Judah, of the one who would sit on the throne of David, but he was still hidden. Isaiah talks about it pretty descriptively. He says that this servant is like an arrow, but the arrow hasn't been released yet. It's still in the quiver, that, that little circle thing that holds all those arrows. He hasn't been pulled out and released into the world yet. But when he would be, when he would appear, he would display the glory and the splendor of the Almighty God. Maybe you've heard someone say something like this before. He was born to fill in the blank. 
If you were sitting watching Louis Armstrong play the trumpet and you were, you were hearing him, you might say he was born to play that trumpet. He was born with a trumpet in his hand. What are you saying? You're saying that he was born for just this purpose, to make beautiful music on the trumpet. If Isaiah were to speak like that about the servant, he would say he was born to bring God the glory. And by being a servant and by serving you and me, he did bring God the glory. He was a servant with a purpose. Let's go to the first verse of our, of our text for this evening um, from Isaiah 49, verse 5. This is written more than 600 years before the coming of Jesus. Isaiah writes, And now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and to gather Israel to himself. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has been my strength. So the very beginning of verse 5, it says, And now the all-capital Lord says. Did you know that when this shows up in the Old Testament, when you see the all-capital letter Lord, it's a specific word in the Hebrew that, that describes the covenant God, the almighty God, God the Father, the God who the Israelites feared, who they respected above all else. In fact, they respected him so much that when this all-capital letter Lord shows up, they wouldn't even speak his name because it was holy. They would say Adonai instead of pronouncing this word. That's the Lord that's about to speak, this powerful God. But before he does that, the servant, the servant of the Lord describes for us what this God is like. Here's the kind of God you have, the servant is saying. He's saying you can tell the kind of God you have by the the purposes of his heart, by what he has in mind to do. You saw it in the verse. His purposes were clear. From the very conception of the servant, when he sent the servant and incarnated the servant, he took on human flesh, God had his purpose set for that servant. It was to bring Jacob back and to gather Israel together. You see, the the Israelites, they weren't the most faithful crew. If you know the story of the Old Testament a little bit, you know that for a fact. Going back to the time of Moses, the Israelites' faithfulness was like a roller coaster. And then they got the judges in in the promised land and they didn't get much more faithful then. And then they begged for a king and their faithfulness was still up and down. They were constantly falling away from God and then coming back and then falling away and coming back. And that took us all the way to the time of Isaiah when their faithfulness had plummeted. It was at an all-time low. They were lost. They had wandered so far into the darkness that they couldn't find their way back. So God came with a purpose. His purpose was to rescue them to bring them back to the light. And he had just 
the servant to do this. And Jesus, the servant, was, he was ready for the task. He was the only one that could bring Israel back. So like our verse said, he was formed in the womb of, of the virgin, Mary. He assumed a human flesh. He, he took on the flesh that he was going to save. He became a human so he could save humans. And he took on everything that comes with being a human. He set aside his divine attributes and he took on weakness. He embraced it. He was a human just like you and me. Just like this Hebrew passage says. We have a high priest that can sympathize with us because he was a human just like us. Jesus wept before the tomb of Lazarus. When Jesus was praying in the garden of Gethsemane, he sweat like drops of blood. He was tempted in a more severe way than we ever have been or will be. And the whole time, he relied completely on the Father for his strength. That's what made Jesus ready for the task. You see, his purpose would not fail because his purpose had the strength of the Father behind him. Can we learn something from that? Who do you rely on? Jesus relied on God, the Father, for such a big thing as our salvation. That's bigger than anything that we have going on in our life. And that's meant to be a comfort. That's not meant to make you feel bad. The same strength that, that was behind Jesus, salvation of the entire world, is the same strength that you have when you stay connected to Christ each and every day. You have the strength of the Father. If you read the Bible from cover to cover, there's, well, you'll learn a lot of things, first of all, but one of the things that you'll notice is God's plans are never small. God works in big ways. You think of Abraham, who was promised millions and millions of descendants, as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand and the seashore. Or think about Joseph's life and how God's hand was constantly over Joseph's life. Joseph may not have known what was happening, but God had a plan and a purpose for Joseph. Think about when the Israelites were, were led out of Egypt. You know, the population of Israel at that time was more than the city of Austin, and God led them out of Egypt. God's plans are never small. So it's not surprising what Isaiah says in verse 6. He talking about the Lord, the all-caps Lord says, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob, and to bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Here's what God is saying to his servant. He's saying, I have big things in store for you. It's a big thing to bring Israel back, to restore Jacob. But my heart is bigger 
than that. God's plans were big because his love was big. It was too small a thing to just save the Israelites. He had to save the rest of the world too. So it's pretty amazing that God reveals through Isaiah a concept that isn't widely known until even the New Testament. When Jesus would say things like, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. The Son's purpose was to save the world. Or when Paul wrote, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Christ came to reconcile the world. So also, one righteous act resulted in justification in life for all people. Jesus came as a light for the world. Jesus came to restore the world. Jesus also came as a light for you personally. He came to restore you personally because there's one thing that we all as humans have in common. We were all born into darkness, spiritual darkness. We were all born spiritually broken. And we needed that light. We needed that restoration. And God brought it in Jesus. In Jesus, you have light. In Jesus, you have been restored. And Jesus accomplished his purpose. His birth was not in vain. His life was not in vain and his purpose would not fail because his purpose was heavenly. Eight days after Jesus was born, he was taken to the, to the temple. According to the, the purification rites, in order to, to uphold the law, he had to be circumcised and presented at the temple. At the temple at that time, there was this man named Simeon. Simeon was an old man at this time, and, but he was a godly man, and he had meditated on the Word, and he knew God's promises, and he held on to those promises. And Simeon received a gift from God. The Holy Spirit came to him and said, Simeon, you're not going to die until you see the Son of God. So when Jesus was brought to the temple and presented at the temple and Simeon saw the Son of God for the very first time, Simeon's response was something worth remembering. It's a song that we still sing in the church today and it takes words straight from our text this evening. He says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Simeon knew that when he saw that little baby, that eight-day-old baby, that he was staring at the eyes of his salvation, that that little baby meant that he was rescued from the darkness. Because Jesus was born, you are saved. You have been rescued from that darkness. Can you be like Simeon? 
Simeon was waiting his whole life for this Messiah. And he meditated on the Word and he held on to God's promises in Isaiah. From where I'm standing, we're in a similar situation. We're waiting for Jesus to come back again. We're waiting patiently. But in the meantime, meditate on God's Word and hold on to His promises because He has given you so many awesome promises. Like, surely I am with you always. Or whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Will, that's a sure thing. Or uh, talking about prayer, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? And these are just three of the many promises that God has given to you. While you're waiting, hold on to those. Let's go to our last verse. Verse 7. Says, This is what the Lord says the Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, to him who is despised and abhorred by the nation, to the servant of rulers, kings will see you and stand, princes will see you and bow down, because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. Jesus brought light to that world. To this world. But that light had a price. He was a servant with a purpose. He was born a human, taking on human flesh, but he was a servant of suffering. And Jesus was despised and abhorred by the nations. We, I think we know what despised means. An intense hatred for someone. But I, I had to look up the word abhorred. It means to become abomination to someone. It means the very name Jesus would bring disgust to me, that I would feel sick hearing that name. I couldn't help but think of Jesus standing with Pontius Pilate before the the Jewish crowd. And as the Jews chose a known murderer, Barabbas, they chose to set him free instead of Jesus. And they continued to yell at Jesus, crucify him. Crucify him. Jesus was such an abomination to these people that they they killed him. But that was your servant. He was carrying the light through the deepest darkness in order to bring you light. He crucified your darkness and rose give you light. And that light is life for all people. Eternal life where you'll be singing praises to Jesus forever. To your exalted King. Then Isaiah goes on. He talks about the kings who will stand up before the Lord and the the princes who will bow down. These men of high rank and authority would come to believe in the Lord as their Savior and they would bow down and worship Him. Think of the Magi, the kings from the east who traveled miles and miles following this light in the sky in order to worship the light of the world, to bow down to that baby in a manger and to give him gifts. Later, when when Paul would be standing before kings and princes, some of them would come to believe Paul's message and they would worship Jesus, their king. 
all through the years, there have been presidents, there have been prime ministers and kings who have worshipped God and bowed before Him. Until even the last day, when every ruler on the earth will know who the real king is and they will bow before Him. This Wednesday, Advent service is our last one. We've, we've gone three weeks waiting for Christmas. Have you ever wondered why we, we have three or four weeks where we're anticipating and waiting for Christmas to come? I was thinking about that the other day, and it led me to this thought. We wait three or four weeks for Christmas during our Advent season. But since the fall into sin, believers have waited and waited and waited for the the head crusher, for the one who would hold the scepter of Judah, for the one who would sit on the throne of David. Generations were born and generations died again and again and again waiting for this Savior. The Savior had finally come. The Messiah was finally here. It's time for Christmas. Amen.